Hey, what's going on? This is Brandon. This is Dave. And this is Joshua. And you are tuned into PVD Horror. Here's a bonus episode for all you to enjoy as we had the privilege to interview writer-director Dallas Jackson. Dallas is fresh off his Netflix release of Welcome to Sudden Death, starring Michael Jai White, Gary Owen, which he wrote and directed. Yeah, we also got to talk to him about his previous Netflix film, Thriller. Uh, we also went into some of the influences that led to the creation of both films. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this bonus episode. We'll be back to our regular scheduled show next week. Hope you enjoy it. We are here with Dallas Jackson. Dallas, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your your background and kind of like kind of what brought you into, you know, creating film? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been wanting to be on the path of a, of a filmmaker, quote unquote, uh, since I was a teenager. You know, I think the thing that I, I always loved, like genre stuff like Alien and Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, Star Wars and all that stuff we grew up on, you know, E.T., Battlestar Galactica, all that stuff. Uh, Bruce Lee, obviously, but um, you know, I think when I was when I was in high school or somewhere around there, uh, my father took me to. I wanted to go see Hollywood Shuffle. It was like in one theater in Denver. As a matter of fact, I think I was I, I think I was in like fifth grade or sixth grade. I wasn't high school, and so my I just caught wind of this guy Robert Townsend and heard about him like making his movie on on his credit cards, which was like what. And my father took me to see Hollywood Shuffle and it like blew my mind just in terms of like, I had read some stuff, you know, prior to how he got it made. So it's like, okay, here's a guy who looks like me. Uh, he's older, obviously, but like he wrote a movie, he directed it, he starred in it and he made it for 35 grand. That was a legend. Like he put it all on his credit cards. And, uh, and I'd never seen my father like, really laugh in a theater before like that was that was interesting to me so so right there in my mind I was like okay there's a pathway to do this and that was kind of like when the renaissance of uh, black filmmakers was happening where like Spike Lee and Keenan Ivory Waynes and like I said yeah Eddie Murphy and like all these things were happening that were like beyond just like actors you know so for me that kind of turned the corner for me and uh, when I went to Howard uh, you know, years later, I decided to major in, in TV and film, and then that kind of set me on the path of of where we, you know, where where I am now. Uh, but those seeds were planted like early as as a kid. Uh, and I used to like, you know, go to the video store and just like get RoboCop and Faces of Death, <laughs> crazy yeah, shit. Right? And, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I go to the video store and just see what kind of crazy shit I could rent, you know, yeah. uh, Evil Dead, all it's like, you know, yeah. you know, the fun of the video store was you could go take it off the shelf, look at it. Oh, this looks really fucking crazy. I want to rent yeah. this. And then, you know, you, you rent it, go home, watch those two or three movies, you know, and then come back, return them and go get some more. You know, exactly. so that that for me was kind of like uh, I wanted to have a movie on the shelf, you know, yeah. you know grab and that was aspirational to me. Anyway, do you, go ahead. Do you sorry. feel like that's why you started with 
a horror movie as you know you kind of like your first written and directed by yeah i mean well what's interesting is um when i was a kid i loved this movie the last dragon right like that was like my my joint bruce leroy show enough all of that Mm -hmm. so some years ago i got a uh a first look deal uh with a producer named john davis who's done like i robot and daddy daycare and He's done a bunch of movies. Um, and so I told him I wanted to remake The Last Dragon. And uh, my first look with him was as a writer and as a producer. So he he connected me with uh, – no, actually, I connected with RZA. RZA. I told RZA about me wanting to do this, and I was – and John Davis helped me, like, track down the rights to The Last Dragon. RZA introduced me to Sam Jackson, and we went to Columbia Pictures – and pitched the idea of rebooting this franchise, or at least rebooting this title and making it a franchise. Uh, and they made me a deal to write the script and, uh, and for Sam to play show up. And so, yeah. you know, we, we were on this path. They really responded to the script. Uh, the studio did. They got a director, um, Charles Stone, who did Paid in Full and um, Drumline. And we were on the path to make the movie. And then Sony had regime change. Um, but what started to happen is they had regime change and, you know, people just kind of didn't, didn't pick back up on the last dragon for whatever reason. But this script of mine started to kind of float around to different execs and studios. And one of the people that, that read it was Jason Blum at Blumhouse. Okay. And Samuelson who runs Blumhouse had me come in and he was like, you know, why hasn't anyone made this fucking movie? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, you know, well, we obviously can't because we don't have the rights, but do you have, like, we really enjoy what you did with this. Do you have something that you would like to make or, in, you know, in the horror space? And Thriller was a movie originally titled Homecoming that I had sold to Fox some years back, which was like my scream, my I Know What You Did Last Summer, my prom night. Right. Yep. Uh, I always wanted to do a horror movie with black teenagers, black and Hispanic teenagers. It just hasn't, mm-hmm. it hadn't been done, which was crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, so based on the strength of the last dragon, I was able to get them to read homecoming, which I changed to thriller. And they were like, we got this movie called get out coming out. We don't know what it's going to do. So stand mm-hmm. by. And uh, I went to the premiere of get out with RZA and after the premiere, I ran into Jason Blum and everybody was going crazy. Like after the premiere of Get Out, because they're just like, you know, people were just like, holy shit. And uh, and Jason Blum, I think, was a little surprised by that. And he saw me with RZA and he was like, is RZA going to be a part of this uh, script we're developing with you? And I just kind of looked at RZA. He was like, sure. And, uh, <laughs> and Get Out came out like a week later. It did what it did. And they greenlit Thriller for like a million bucks. They're like, go take that. Go make your movie. Um, we made a deal with RZA to score and be in it. And, uh, you know, we ended up, we ended up making the movie. Uh, and, and that process led to some other things, including the opportunity uh, for Sudden Death. But Sudden Death came about also because of The Last Dragon. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I felt like that was probably going to connect. Um, so I guess, you know, do you guys chance to watch that uh, Welcome to Sudden Death? So let's start off with some questions. Brandon, I know you had uh, a few that you want to ask. 
Yeah, my main thing was um, how was it like working with uh, Gary Owens and uh, Michael J. White? You know, how did that fall? How did that connection come together with those two? Because it's like so separate. You know, you have Gary Owens. Like gr- I grew up on him, watching him on Comic View and everything like that. You know, and just becoming and being plugged into all these movies. And Michael J. Um, Michael J. White just having um, you know a lot of funny roles here and there on certain films, and like you know like Black Dynamite. And then so now you bring these two together with that um, that connection, you know, I think it worked really well. And then, like, how was it like being behind the scenes with those guys? Well, let me let me just start with Michael Jai and then we'll kind of work our way to Gary. When I when I when I got the opportunity to, to make the movie, you know, first the opportunity was presented to me to write it based on The Last Dragon. Then the opportunity was offered to me to direct it based on uh, Thriller. Um, so. When I, when I was thinking about who the guy could be, uh, John Singleton, who was, was a good friend of mine, you know, rest in power. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, rest in, rest in peace. You know, that was my guy. We made the show called Rebel Together on BET. So he was like my big brother, mentor. And he mm-hmm. was like, yo, you, you got to get Michael Jai for, for your son death remake. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, you know, I listened to John. Anything he yeah. said, I always listened to. And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. He's like, and, you know, I was like, okay. And um, so uh, Michael Jai's wife, Gillian White, mm-hmm. uh, just happened to go to Howard with me. We've been friends for years. I reached out to her and I was like, you know, can I sit down with Michael? Because we, we'd met in passing maybe once, but we weren't yeah. bros or anything. And, um so she she talked to him about it. We hooked up for breakfast. Uh, I had sent the script over in advance, and so he he was really responsive to the script, just in terms of him saying, "I've never been," which was a surprise to me. He's like, "I've never been offered a role like this. I've never been offered a role where I could play a father um, who's just trying to save his family." Like you know. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of like, he, he, he knows Van Damme, like he knows Van Damme. Um, so he was like, you know, he wasn't really hesitant about it because he felt like the movie wasn't trying to replace the first one. It was just kind of its own thing. Um, but like he, he instantly responded. Um, and so once Universal and him, uh, made a deal, and I knew he was going to be the guy. We started thinking about who who's going to be the sidekick. Um, and, uh, you know, my first choice, which might not have been, you know, like the right thing, but like I, I actually went to Fat Joe. Oh, yeah. I, wanted Fat, I wanted Fat Joe to play <laughs> Gus. Um, I, I got the script to Fat Joe. Uh, I got on the phone with Fat Joe, which was an interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, Fat Joe is coming off of uh, she's got to have it on Netflix and he's, he's been doing his acting and um, you know, and he's kind of funny and he's jolly, yeah. you know? So we were talking and I, it, we were talking for like a half hour and I'm thinking, okay. Cause he's like, yo, I love Michael Jai, yo. And yo, yo, this would be hot, you know? And, he, and I'm thinking like, yeah, okay, great. Cause my thing was like, you got this martial artist and then you could have like this fun hip hop guy next to him. Right. Anyway. So like 30 minutes in, he's like, but yo, I'm about to go on tour. I can't do this, son. Oh, I man. was like, I was like, Oh word. Cause you just talked to me for like a half hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure we were about to rock. 
He's yeah. like, nah, man, I can't do it. But he's like, I appreciate it. You know, we, we'll find something else. I was like, damn. So I'm talking to Mike, and um, he's like, yo, you know, we should think about we should think about Gary Owen. And I was like, ding, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. That's that's yeah. really fun and funny. And we started talking about like, you know, it's usually, you know, lethal weapon. It's the it's the white guy and then it's the brother, like I'm too old for this shit. Or, you know, it's the black sidekick, you know, it's Jackie yep. Chan and Chris Tucker. You know, the black guy is usually the, the funny guy and the other guy is the kick-ass guy. You know, mm-hmm. so we were talking about the dynamic of being able to have Michael Jai, who I literally think is our Jackie Chan. Like, yeah, he does definitely. his own stunts. He, he, he can definitely act. He's funny when he wants to be. He's a real martial artist, 30 years deep into it. Mm-hmm. Like having that guy next to the funny white guy was yep. just an interesting thing that we thought we could do. And so uh, I reached out to Gary. Michael Jai knew Gary. He sent him a, a, a DM. They talked. Then Gary and I talked. And then interesting enough, we had to, we had to kind of convince Universal because they weren't like hmm. – they did not understand Gary is like, uh, black famous, you know, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Like white people kind of know. No dis- disrespect, guys. White white yeah. people kind of know who Gary is, but black mm-hmm. people are like, oh, the funny yeah. white guy yeah. from you know, <laughs> think like a man, or like they yeah. know who he is. Yeah, uh, they, or like Dude. you said, like he was in, he was the first white guy in Comic View, right? So it's like, yeah, oh, yeah exactly. Yep. So you people know. know, like they brothers know who he is. So we had to do a little education with with Universal on him and then they went to like his instagram he's got like two million they're like oh okay cool (laughs) so once we got to that where we knew it was going to be those two uh those guys just they already knew each other they started like to hit it off and there was just chemistry from there things they were working on on set things that they were would talk about before we shot a scene and they would do there was a lot of times where i would just let gary do do something he'd just go crazy and then I'd say, yeah, I'd say, give me a take where you just give me what I need, and then I'll give you one where you just, just do your thing. Yeah. And so we always found a balance of that. And oh, a lot of times, dude, he would just like fucking make Mike cry, like in the middle of like <laughs> laughing, you know, to the point where we would just have to be like, time out, you know, let's mm-hmm. get the giggles out and go back, you right. know, because he's just so he's so funny and he can definitely improv. So it's a great. dynamic between those two right like right from jump and that's basically how we how we made it happen and no disrespect to fat joe i'm glad it worked out the way it did oh yeah definitely that's cool man the uh so that that brings me to my my question the guys told me not to talk that much because uh because you know basically i am gus uh like in this group (laughs) i am gus uh all the way and we're casting yeah so it well, Gus was based on me, right? Like, yeah, you, you, yeah. You heard the podcast, and you were like, "I'm making this character based on Joshua." I'm gonna roll with you on that. <laughs> we'll just go yeah. with it. But we, we also we want a fat Joe in the group. It. Yeah, we all watched it, and uh, it was funny. Like, I was like, "Did he? Did he base this character on me?" And all the guys were like, "Dude, that's the perfect question." <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan uh, of old school like martial arts films and and kung fu too and horror. 
So this, the, your, your two films together, like we, they, they were great for me. Um, did you have to slow down the fighting in the scenes uh, to make it jive on camera? No, what, what we did was, uh, that's, all, that's, all, that's all captured as it went. But what we did was, uh, so we, had to, we have a, a brother on our, on our squad named Larnell Stovall. And Larnell uh, is part of a stunt, uh, a stunt coordinating fight choreography uh, company called 8711. 8711 uh, did, did all the fights uh, choreography for the Raid One and Two. They did all they do all the stunt and fight stuff for the Marvel movies. They did all this uh, fight choreography for Deadpool. Um, That's cool. Deadpool, Deadpool Two. So what Larnell does is, and what we did was, him and his crew get the script. We pull out all the fight scenes, and him and his crew choreograph all the fight scenes on video first. So there was about, I think, about seven or eight total fights in, in Sudden Death. They, they put those all on video. They send them to me, and, I, and in this case, sent them to me and Michael Jai. Uh, I had worked with Larnell on my show with Singleton uh, Rebel. So I kind of knew how he worked. So he sent the fight scenes to me and Michael Jai. We would give little notes or tweaks for how we wanted to do things. And then prior to, uh, while we were in pre-production, we did a two-week fight camp where we had Michael Jai, uh, all the fight guys in the movie, the, the security guards and all that, the, the bad guy security guards, were, and they would watch the video and then practice the fights. And they did that for like two, two or three weeks, um, including Michael Jai's stunt double who, gets no work because, I mean, not no work, but like he gets no time because Michael Jai is no. always like, you know, but we had to have Jasper also learn just in case we needed him to, to stand in for Mike. Right. Um, cool. And they practice each scene. So when we get to, to the shoot, like the day of that, to shoot that fight, whichever one it is, let's say the locker room, the three on one, those guys already know it. They're just dancing. You know, a fight movie is a dance movie. It's just, knowing your moves, knowing your partner's moves, and then knowing what, what hit works for the camera best. So there's three cameras. This camera might capture this one better. This camera might get this hit better or this kick better. So you're just figuring out which camera angles. So you do the, you do the it's called previs. So you previs the fights first, put them on video. Then we had the fight camp. And then we went right to shooting the fights. and that kind of uh, saves you time because you can't be on set with a certain budget. And we only had that arena for like 23 days or something like that. So you can't waste time on set, like learning how to fight, like mm -hmm. learning to fight. Got to know it when you get there. And, uh, and that's what we did. And so all those fights you see are captured as we shot them. There might be a few things in edit we did to rack or, cut away real fast or something so it might look faster or something but those guys are really like operating in real time as you see those fights awesome. yeah those are some badass scenes man all right so like you said you, you brought up a lot of big names you know like keenan ivory waynes uh robert towns like how do you feel as a african-american director you know in the horror genre in in comedy and action how do you how how do you feel about that how's that going well look man you know it's going pretty good so far right now, but it's taken me some years to get here. Writing has opened up the doors to me to direct. You know, if I didn't start out writing, I wouldn't be 
you know, we would be having this conversation. Right. So, you know, I think it's important that we, you know, create and write because the, you know, all the greats, the people that have succeeded in this business started out as writers, Keenan Ivory Wayne, Steven Spielberg, you know, Stallone wrote Rocky for himself, you know, um, Stallone's a hell of a writer, dude. People don't give Stallone enough credit, but like, yeah, first blood, dude, he wrote First Blood? Come on. <laughs> you know, I think he wrote like Rocky Three. I mean, come on. Anyway, you have <laughs> your writing is the vehicle to open other doors. And I think for me as a, as a, you know, a, a, a black director, you know, and even directors in general, you know, look, you I don't think you can look for an opportunity to just fall into your lap. You have to create it. Um, even Tarantino, you know, when he wrote Reservoir Dogs, like had to go get a hundred grand to make that movie. He only shot it for a hundred grand, uh, but he wrote it first. And then he was like, I'll, I, I want to make this, you know? So, you know, I think for us uh, and for any filmmaker, but in particular as, as a black director, black writer, you know, I'm trying to, to push boundaries and do things that necessarily haven't been done or aren't done a lot for whatever reasons. And, you know, right now I'm just trying to prove myself as being able to to create a story and deliver it. You know, here you go. You can put that out in the market now. And hopefully that will continue to, to, to create opportunities that I can write and direct and open doors for bigger opportunities but mm -hmm. for me like my focus specifically is action horror sci-fi those yeah. are the things that i want to you know stay in and, and and to a certain degree i always i think for me at least so far interjected some fun into what i'm doing you know uh i injected some fun into thriller I injected some fun into uh, Welcome to Sudden Death. It's not just like a straight, like, taken horror movie. I mean, taken action movie. Um, there's some fun into it. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's not for everybody. But I, I do like movies where there's a little bit of something of everything in it, even though you know the genre and you stay true to it. I like to just kind of make people smile, maybe before you get killed or whatever. Or <laughs> you know, I love it. You know, even... Uh, and welcome to sudden death. The chick blows her head off, and then Gary has a really fun line like, "That was a crazy bitch," you know. So, yeah. like, <laughs> there's 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 uh, little things I like to do. But to, to get back to your original question, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's really just about me trying to put myself into a genre space which there aren't a lot of us in. Yeah. And in, in order to do that, I've had to write those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's great. And one of the things I kind of appreciate is from your films, like the, you know, like you said, like the crossing genres, it's not just one thing you're going for, but you're like mixing multiple genres together, even with thriller, uh, you know, you got horror, but then you got like kind of teen drama at the same time. You know, it's like, I, I definitely see what you're going for. And I appreciate that is you're not just going for like the you know, really straightforward direction. Um, I, think yeah, I, appreciate, I appreciate that, man, that you recognize that. Yeah. Like, Thriller for me was a couple of things. Thriller was was Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and blah, blah, blah. But also, too, just like my love for, like, Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink. Like, I love those movies. And 
they weren't very diverse, but I understood them because they spoke to certain things that we all inherently feel when we're teenagers. Um, and I would see, I would discover those movies years later after they came out in the video store or cable or whatever. Um, but like that, that was some stuff I was, I was trying to sprinkle in thriller on top of the other stuff. Um, and you know, even with, with welcome to sudden death to a certain degree, um, it's an action movie. There's moments of comedy. It's also just like a family movie. I mean, like weirdly enough, like my kids are like, they love it, you know, because it's, there's kids in it that are like speaking to each other and mm -hmm. being smart asses to adults, which kids always love. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and at the end of the day, it's like daddy saving the kids and kids love mm -hmm. that, you know, fantasy. So yeah, there are, there's, uh, there's always a little bit of something I'm trying to, sprinkle in on top of staying true to like the genre that we're trying to hit nice nice i like that yeah I like i told you after i watched the film i had messaged you and i told you you did it you killed it on it and i was gonna have to run it back with my kids because I, I know my kids will enjoy that film too you know sure. so yeah, yeah. Probably, more, probably more than you, <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, so so speaking of kids uh i just i just gotta tell you we so I watched Thriller with my daughter, who's 16, and her squad. And uh, so I'm watching it with a bunch of teenage girls. And there was uh, one scene in the movie. You know, they're all on their phones, and, like, they look up, they look down, and, you know. And there there was one scene with the character in Thriller, uh, the sister Kim. And she's in the mirror, and all of a sudden, she's talking. And it's, it's like it threw everybody for a loop. Uh, we actually had to rewind it, watch it again. It was like, what the... And then we we had rewound it, watch it again when she starts talking to herself and she's like, I miss you. And all of a sudden she talks like the sister. Mm -hmm. Dude, what was up with that? <laughs> that got everybody's attention real quick in that. Well, yeah, well, that's cool. I'm glad you I'm glad it, it kind of freaked you out. There's some people that are like, what the hell's going on? And, and there's other people that are like, oh, she's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And what, what's interesting is when we shot shot that scene that day the actress Peppy um, her real name is Peppy um, she was like so how do I do this like what do you what am I doing and I'm like your your sister was killed mm -hmm. your sister died you saw her die and in your mind you're so traumatized by that you've kept her alive in your mind and so like all little kids have an imaginary friend your imaginary friend is your sister except for you talk back to her um you talk to each other in your mind and she was like oh okay i got it so mm -hmm. that was her thing is she's talking to her sister her sister's dead but in her mind because she's so screwed up from it the sister is still alive in some weird way. Yeah. Now, I, I wanted to also do that just to let you know that this chick is crazy, and it's usually the hot ones that are a little crazy. Like, <laughs> like you think yeah. you've got a winner, and you're like, ah, damn, she's fine, but she's crazy as hell, which is yeah. like real life. Like, you get super hot chick, and then all of a sudden – there's little things you're like, this this chick is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I wanted to push that extreme a little bit with her. Um, but that's what, but that's what that was. Um, and I was trying to do little things in the movie. So you couldn't exactly like, you know, maybe at some point you go, Oh, maybe she's the killer. Cause I saw her do some crazy stuff. Yeah. So that was just a red herring, but, but really everyone in that movie has a problem from that moment. So, you know, she talks to her sister, the main girl has nightmares cause she's, she knows the truth. Um, the one kid acts hard, but he's really soft as jelly. Yeah. One kid, one kid is actually the killer because he screwed up from that day, you know. So he's killing his friends. Like they all have their little quirk from that day, and that that was hers. Yeah, I I love that. After I watched that, I, like um, kind of how it started and seeing some of it play out, I was like, oh, prom night. And then you said prom night as we started this. So I was like, all right, I was I was pretty. Uh, I wasn't wrong on that. So I was like thinking of all these like films from, you know, that I've experienced over the past that have like kind of shaped my love for horror and you, you encompass so many in this one film. So like, I just wanted to ask you like, so I know you mentioned a few already, but like what films really did like kind of mold your love for horror? I know you mentioned evil dead earlier as like one you would see in like the, you know, the video shop or whatever, but like what ones really stand out to you as kind of like the ones that kind of, inspired you to make this film and kind of like molded your, your love for this genre? Well, I'll tell you the ones that fucked me up and then we'll go backwards. <laughs> so so the, the exorcist fucked me up. Like I had to sleep with my mom for like three days. And I saw it on, I saw it on network TV. I don't know what the hell. The exorcist was like on CBS one night. I was like nine. And my mom was like, don't watch that. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And I watched that shit, and I, 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 like, had to get in my mama's bed. My pops was like, yo, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> That's classic. Sandwiched in between them, like, yo, I can't sleep by myself. Um, the Evil Dead fucked me up for real. Like, like, you know, the tree, like, raped the chick. I was like, I didn't understand that, what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was, like, so many things, like, all the devilish dialogue going on and the book reading itself backwards, like all this stuff fucked me up and not in a good way, but like later on in a good way. Um, (laughs) I spit on your grave was something I should have never rented. (laughs) We just talked about that. The last podcast, man. Yeah, we did. Oh, bro. I spit on your grave is like, yo, who greenlit this? This is (laughs) so sick. Yeah. It was funny Um, because, we uh we just did an event and then the the people that were, were hosting it they was like yeah we don't we don't want I I spit on your grave we don't want any of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we we don't want any rapey yeah um, um but so 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 there are things that disturbed me where it's kind of like you want to keep dipping your toe back in the water you know um but but the but really what like is like in my heart. Um, that really made me fall in love with this stuff is John Carpenter. Like, yeah. love Halloween. There's a lot of Halloween and thriller. Just stepping from behind the tree or coming from the shadows or things like that. Like, that's all uh, Michael Myers' original yeah. Halloween stuff. I'm just, you know, Escape from New York is like in my heart. Like, that, that I watch that till the fucking wheels fall off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Chris, Christine is, you know, yeah, classic. Part-time, you know, one of my favorite movies, you know, on the planet. Um, and it was, it, it, it's just so relatable. Like, you know, I, I had a uh, 68 T-Bird in high school. It was my parents' car, and they gave it to me. And I fixed that car up. Like, I tricked it out. I put a, a, a CD player in it, boom, and speakers. And uh, used to, like, you know, make out with chicks in that car. All kinds of stuff, man, where, like, I, I put my soul in that car. And I, like, so Christine is, like, I'm that dude, you know. Yeah. You know, mom, if, if anything happens to me and my T-Bird shows up, you know what's up. <laughs> uh, so, like, you know, like, John Carpenter to me is is just, like, yeah, like, that's my that's like I love Spielberg, um, but that's my Spielberg, you know. Like, so that that was Car- John Carpenter, and I, you know, like is a is a huge influence for me. Who I caught on later, like I'm, you know, like it's video store cable later, you know, then going to do homework and find out who this guy is, and then like thinking like who's the who's the John Carpenter of today? Like there isn't one, I guess, you know you could point at certain things or whatever, or you could say like Jordan Peele is like the whatever he's becoming of whatever. Right. He's, yeah. but John Carpenter yeah. is his, his own thing. Like Stephen King's his own thing. Right. You know, yeah. um, I'm a huge Stephen King fan as well. Um, more so than the books than this. Cause a lot of the film adaptations are just, you know, funky, but like every once in a while they get one right. But like, Oh, that for me was the things that started to get me in love with the horror genre, particularly uh, Carpenter. Um, okay. You know, like I just, I'll go on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole of John Carpenter videos just to, just to hear him talk and, and see what was That's on awesome. his mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That actually, that makes me want to ask you another question. Um, it kind of along the lines of Carpenter. But so I listened to the Thriller soundtrack and I'm a, I'm a huge Reza fan. So that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you what that, you know, getting to be friendly with him the way that you are, what that's like. But also, did you have some influence on kind of like the soundtrack that he was, um, he provided the soundtrack for Thriller, right? So yeah, he, he scored the movie and then he also like provided artists and stuff for the soundtrack. So there's the score. Yeah. But Rizzo scored it, and then there's the soundtrack, which are, like, songs from the movie. And there's a few on the soundtrack that weren't in the movie, but only, like, two. And the score sounded like it had some, a little bit of, like, Carpenter influence in it. Um, and yeah. I listened to both, but I, when I listened to the, the score, I was like, this is – I wasn't really expecting that from something Rizzo would produce. I was like – I was kind of wondering, did you have some influence on that, or did he kind of just come up with that based on the vibe of the movie? Well, yeah, d- d- both. Yes, on both. So, so once we knew he was going to score it, um, first of all, I had to wait for a long time on that score. I was like, yo, <laughs> is he really, is, is really going to score it? What's going on? Um, yeah. And then finally, first we had a conversation, and, and he and I both mutually love a lot of the same things. Yeah. And – like we both mutually obviously love martial arts movies. Right. We both have a mutual love of, of uh, horror movies and genre stuff. 
And so when I, I said, he said, you know, what do you want this to sound like? And I said, I want it to sound like Halloween. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I need that. I need that Halloween. I need that uh, 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 Escape from New York. Like, Escape from New York score is ill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halloween 2 score is ill. Uh, that's all Carpenter. So he said, okay. So I think the last thing I needed for the movie we were waiting on is the score. And I, I waited like for some weeks and Blumhouse was like, is he really going to, is like, are we, should we get somebody else? And I'm like, I, I don't think he would do that to me. And so mm-hmm. it was just, he was, he was doing a few things at once. So he finally goes, I got, I got some stuff for you to hear, you know, come to the house. Uh, uh, okay. So he lives like an hour from me. Uh, here I live in LA. He lives way out in the valley. So I go to his house. We go to the studio, and he starts to play some stuff. And it, it, it's like, damn, did you? It, was Carpenter here with you? Like this? Is crazy. <laughs> he was like, he's like, this is what you wanted, right? And I'm like, dude, this is this is this is fantastic. You know, yes, of course. And then he started to play stuff because he plays the keys. He plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays. So he said, so he, he, he brought this keyboard out and he goes, this is one of the tools Carpenter uses. He's like, I did some homework. And so then he starts to play it. I'm like, oh my God, like damn near passed out. But it was, it was definitely Riz's interpretation of a John Carpenter score. So it was definitely, it was definitely intentionally uh, uh, influenced by that because that's what I asked for and that's what he went for. Um, and so that, that's what we got and it's beautiful and it's, and it's, you know, it's on iTunes and some other stuff, but I, you know, I don't think it gets like, it never got like the full shine. I think it should get maybe one day it will. Yeah. One day we have to figure out some way to like really shine a light on that soundtrack, on that score right. in particular, because it's so good. And I might use that shit again somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. And I wonder if that has something to do with it being um, a Netflix film as opposed to like a, a, like being in a big box office, if that has some kind of influence over like how, you know, it gets out there. Um, But it is, it's definitely overlooked. So I hope that people do kind of give it a, give it a listen and kind of have that appreciation and knowing this background now, I actually, I want to go back and listen to it even more because like I said, I, I listened to it and I was like, this has like a, you know, John Carpenter feel, but even hearing like the development of it, that's, that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Like we, I have a, uh, uh, playlist of mine and one of them is, uh, movie soundtracks. And I just have like a bunch of sound, uh, movie soundtracks, like escape from New York and Halloween and the, and the last dragon, like all these classic, soundtracks and some of them are scores and I've added my own into there, uh, thriller, uh, and now, uh, welcome to sudden death. But when a, when a piece of the thriller soundtrack or the score pops up, like I know it right away and it's so unique and dope that I've just kind of started to just listen to it more and more on its own. And I usually listen to those things while I write, to get some uh, influence and buzz, and it's such a great it's such a great score to listen to while you're being creative, man. It's, yeah. it's dope. Yeah. Roll, roll, 
roll up a fatty and you're about to play some games yep. or some shit, <laughs> listen to that RZA score, yo. Yep. All right, you hear it, you heard it here. You gotta <laughs> you gotta listen to this, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, would you mind if we get into a little spoiler territory with uh, Thriller? That's totally your. Uh, either way, yeah. We can talk okay. about cool, cool. Uh, yeah. So he was asking for me the, so I had a, a spoiler question. Um, you know, I really liked the twist in that movie. Um, mm -hmm. Like as it goes, like you're, you're thinking Kim's not right. So maybe like it was her sister, you know, and it, is she the killer, but then the killer's huge. Right. So right. at the end, um, you know, big spoiler. So if you haven't seen it, watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of this. Um, it turns out to be, Derek at the end, right? The character Derek. Mm -hmm. And you think it's Chauncey all the way up. Mm -hmm. So then Chauncey running in to save the day really kind of fucked with me at the end. And I was like, what the hell? But then afterwards, um, like it was weird because Derek was, he was caught. And then there's Chauncey with the smile. And I'm like, dude, was it him all along? <laughs> and that really made you second guess like the whole film. And then I wanted to go back and watch to see if like maybe Chauncey was the killer and this guy just took the rap at the end. And uh, I thought that was dope. So how did you come up with that? And what's the story behind that? So the, the story behind it is uh, these kids had always fuck with Chauncey, you know, the, 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 the mythology when we come into the movie, when we first hear it, is they're, they're like, you know, let's get him. We're always messing with this kid, right? Like we're, we've been, we've been doing this. We're just going to take it to another level this time. And, you know, things go awry and it ends up, you know, resulting in a death. Um, but they've always messed with Chauncey. And what we see is that when we meet Chauncey, he's like, he's really a good kid. He gives the homeless guy his hot dog. He offers to help the girl go in and save, you know, help find her cat. And then they just do this god-awful thing and that re results in a death, and they blame it on him. So fast forward, you know, Chauncey gets out. He's Mike Tyson now in terms of, like, his mentality. He's huge. And... Uh, what Derek decides to do is the same thing they were doing as kids. Fuck with Chauncey and blame it on him. Except for he's good. He, except in his mind, as I said, everybody's uh, now has a quirk from that death. His thing is, I'm going to kill them because I blame them for killing my first love. And I'm going to blame it on Chauncey. Just like we blamed it on Chauncey the first time. So... His thing is, I'm going to kill, I'm going to wait for Chauncey to get out. Chauncey's out now. I'm going to plant these little seeds to make you think Chauncey's out for revenge. Now, on the flip side, because Chauncey was locked up, he is crazy. He does choke his mama. You know, he yeah. is pissed off. You know, he drinks ketchup. There ain't no food in the fridge. He's drinking ketchup. He's, <laughs> a, little, he's, he's a little salty. And so, you know, he's following these kids around because in a weird way, he was part of this clique. He was part of this group. He was just the one that they bullied. So he's, he's following his clique around. 
He's watching these kids, and Chauncey knows at least at some point without us showing it, oh, they, they're trying to do the same thing to me again. They're trying to frame me. When that cop comes and, and says, Chauncey, where were you? Blah, 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 I got killed. I think Chauncey's smart enough to go, oh, you know what? They're trying to set me up again. So I'm going to keep an eye on things. And uh-huh. when he has that moment to intervene, I don't think, at least from my perspective, right, I don't think Chauncey's intervening to save a life. He's intervening to show that he's been innocent the whole time. Uh-huh. He, he, he intervenes because it's like, I'm, a, I'm about to stop this from happening again, and I'm going to show you if it was really them the whole time. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it kind of is the payoff at the end where she apologizes to Chauncey for them doing it years ago because she knows that all this stuff has happened because of what they did years ago. Um, Chauncey doesn't necessarily accept the apology. And I think, you know, if I was to do a sequel, I would, I would further explore the idea of now Chauncey taking on his own revenge. Okay. Dude, awesome. You know, like, oh, okay, y'all did this to me. I finally got you. I got everybody. I got the air cleared. Now I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. Y'all, you, 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 you basically screwed up my life, right? Yeah. Um, not to give any spoilers away for part two, because I might put a twist in that. Yeah. I, already, I already know what that twist Ooh, is. So it's in the works? I, I have that worked out. If they come to me and yes. say... You know, let's do a thrill or two. I, I know what that story is. Um, okay. But long answer to your question is that I think Chauncey was trying to vindicate himself to a certain degree. And also, everybody's got a quirk from that day. Chauncey's also now got a quirk from that day. He screwed up. Yeah, so, yeah, man. It was cool at the end when he was like, "We, you killed both of us that day. I was like, dude. Dude, that that was a line right there that made the movie, dude. Right, and and just to just to touch on something, you know, when we when that movie premiered in the theater at the LA Film Festival uh, in September of, of 2018, that's where the that's where we had the world premiere. We had the red carpet and all that, and that theater that theater went crazy, man. Like throughout the whole movie, the theater was packed. John Singleton was there, Rizzo was there, Jason Blum was there. Like, they all got to see, like, damn, this is, you've got something, kid, because the theater was uh-huh. really reacting. And there were some execs there. There were some execs there from Sony Pictures, and there were some execs there from a couple other places, Lionsgate, uh, BET, and there's some execs there from Netflix. And a couple days later, or maybe like a week later, Blumhouse was like, yo, we might have to go with Netflix. And I'm like, you know, but dude, we got Sony. We got, you know, there, there were little nibbles of people going, they, they wanted to acquire the movie. And Blumhouse was like, Netflix is coming with not only the budget back, but some more yeah. money. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like a no risk already. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then, and then, because by, you know, this was, uh, this was heading in towards the holidays when we were finally making this decision towards the end of 2018. The thing that I, I, I kind of, you know, like finally got my head around was like Netflix is worldwide. Netflix is like 
You can watch it anytime, any place. It's not in the theater for a few days. You can watch it all day, at night, in the morning when you wake up. And it presented an opportunity for me to just kind of get into that wheelhouse. Um, so I did want it in the theater. I think we had an opportunity to get it in the theater for sure. But Netflix is just a monster. When they come and they're like, we want to cake you off. We want to buy your movie. Mm-hmm. You know, to Blumhouse is going, oh, I'm going to get my money back because they paid for it. Blumhouse yeah. paid, for the money, paid for the movie out of their pocket. Um, but then it also opened the door for me, I think, because then it, it then it's like, okay, he delivered. The movie's on Netflix. And it still has a life. It's still, people are still, especially in the pandemic, it, it went shot up to popular again. So... There's just a new world that I embraced with that. Yeah. As much as I wanted it to hit the theater, I think it's had a different kind of life and maybe a better life on Netflix. Like you watching it with your daughter. You know, you didn't have to go to yeah. pay-per-view or anything. You just clicked on Netflix and watch it. And that's kind of an interesting uh, concept now that we've embraced, especially now in this pandemic where, yeah, exactly. you know, I think more yeah. people will be welcome to sudden death now it was mm-hmm. supposed to do a, a theatrical, whatever, and the pandemic hit, and that was around March, and they knew automatically, you know, we're gonna, Netflix was already involved, so it pushed cool. back the premiere, premiere from June to now, and I think now it just it, it just presents a more opportunity for more eyeballs. Sorry, no, that's okay. Yeah, um, so actually, I, I think um, kind of what you were going with with telling us about Chauncey and maybe getting his revenge. This brings me on kind of like a segment that we wanted to uh, introduce to you, which is uh, Josh does on our social media, horror icon throwdown. And we were hoping that we could do some hypothetical throwdowns with Chauncey um, and kind of think about what kind of like um, what villains, horror movie villains you could see Chauncey going against and uh, who do we think would, uh, would match up well against him. So I don't know. Uh, you know, do you, I don't know if you had any one to throw out there or Josh Brandon, what, if you guys had one that you want to start us off with. Well, let me just say this. First of all, let's talk about Chauncey's advantages and then we'll throw yeah. out who can match up. Yeah. Yeah. Chauncey's a big dude. Yeah, definitely. He's yeah. He looks huge, man. So Chauncey has jailhouse strength, right? Cause he's been working out for like four or five years straight. He's got super street smarts cause he's lives in Compton. So his, his street smarts are off the hook. Um, he drinks ketchup, so you know he's just ruthless. <laughs> he's ruthless. Who drinks ketchup? Come on, man. That, that means you can endure almost anything. Um, and he can sustain uh, a high tolerance for violence. Now, if you the first time we see Chauncey, his shirt is off. He's got all kinds of shank wounds. Like, there's a scar here, there's a scar here. So he's been through some shit, and he survived. So he's got a high tolerance for violence and and physical harm. So let's just – that's his strength. So let's lay that out, and then we can go. So I have one that comes to mind right away. Um, This is one that a lot of people don't appreciate, and, you know, we had a discussion recently. But Rob Zombie's version of Michael Myers comes to mind. Because – yeah, I was going to say that, too. <laughs> yeah, he's huge. He's brutal. Um, you know, he's definitely seen some things in his day. He's Absolutely. probably drinking ketchup on the side. I don't know yet. 
<laughs> so yeah, but you know what he lacks um, is the street smarts. So I think Chauncey has a little bit of an edge on Rob Zombie's Michael Myers, although that dude was pretty freaking brutal, though. <laughs> yeah, he might be a little more violent than Chauncey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just a little. Uh, but that would be a good. That would be a good throwdown. That would be a very good throwdown. Um, I think Jason Voorhees would be a good matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 disadvantage to Chauncey would be, you know, which Jason Voorhees are we dealing with? Because he would think he'd be through with them, and oh, he comes right back. Pop, would pop back up. Yeah. Uh, so he he'd have to he'd have to really like stomp his head into cement into pancake fashion yeah. to make sure, you know, he couldn't come back. But I think Voorhees could be a good one. I think, uh, you, would have, I think you would have an advantage over uh, the Jason in part five, who is actually not Jason. And yeah, Roy. Roy, uh, Roy, yeah. So he's got ah. the size. He's got the size. Ah. Yep. Human. So, you know, right there. He's got yeah, a chance. Especially with the, same, with the same twist, you know, because – we were thinking Chauncey was a killer the whole time and there wasn't, you know, so they had that similarities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that case, Roy would get his ass whooped. <laughs> <laughs> hands down. Yeah. Yeah. Hands yeah. down. Oh, wait, quick question. Uh, which, which Jason, what number of Friday the 13th was with uh, little Tommy? Was that, that four? Yeah, that was four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. But that was Voorhees, and then yep. and then and then Tommy, little Tommy, killed him. Yep. And then five is Tommy grown up, correct? Yep. Yeah. And then yeah. He goes that guy Roy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Roy, yeah, Roy would get served up for sure. By <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got. I got one. More, I got one more. I want to pose to you. Um, and if you guys have any, we can wrap that up. But. Uh, have you ever seen uh, was a see no evil with the wrestler? What is it, Kane? Kane, yeah, Kane. You guys have wrestled. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's that's a, that's a good matchup. He's a, he's yeah. pretty huge. Uh, he's like you said, he's violent. But you know what, Chauncey's got the street smarts. He's got the intelligence, and I think he's he's probably you know Kane's been kind of locked up. So I, I think that uh, Chauncey would have a little bit of an advantage there. I don't know. Cha- Chauncey would have to lure Kane into Compton. If he could lure, lure him, yeah. if he could lure him into his home turf, yep. I think Chauncey has the advantage. Now here's yeah. here's a little like just like Easter egg uh, from an old script. So originally Chauncey would would his he had a weapon and his weapon was the club. The first time he encounters Easy, the the little gangster dude who the first guys that we see get taken out, um, Chauncey, the real Chauncey, they're talking shit to Chauncey like they are in the movie. I I I I'd taken this out because it felt dated, but the real the real Chauncey these had just shown back up on the block. Like in the movie, when remember when they were teasing uh, Derek, and then Chauncey walks through, and they're like, "Yo, what the fuck? Look at this dude!" Blah blah blah. Right? Chauncey goes over to this car, 
punches out the window, snatches the club. Remember the club on yeah. the, on the yeah. steering wheel? Yeah. Snatches the club off the steering wheel and beats the shit out these gangsters with it. And Derek <laughs> is like, oh, shit. He goes back to school. He's like, yo, I seen Chauncey beat up Derek with the club. He snatches yeah. the club out of the car. So later on, we would, in the script, we would see this hooded figure with the club, and that was his weapon. But it was okay. Derek, it was Derek mimicking what he saw Chauncey do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Kind of, so, so, saying all that to say that Chauncey had the secret weapon. We did not bust out, which is the club. Uh, and I and we came up with like all these like fun things to do with the club, you know, to kill somebody with it. Right. It, but mm-hmm. it was one of those old school clubs that fit on the steering wheel and yep. had the hook. Oh, yeah. Hook on each side, and yep. anyway, I took we took it out because it felt dated, and we just went with like the good old fashioned like brute strength, and uh, you know, he 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 just twist your neck or like throw you off of some shit or whatever. Okay, that's I cool. Hope, I hope if you do a sequel, I do hope the club makes a return because I think that would be pretty helpful. <laughs> I, I love I, that. Um, yeah. I, I, I wanted to, you know, we wanted to have, uh, you know, Freddie had his fingers and, you know, uh, Voorhees usually had an axe or whatever. We're like, what can we do that's like hood but can be used as a weapon? And, we're, and you know, we had this whole club gag going on. Yeah. And I think it was Blumhouse was like, eh, so. Yeah. I can I can see it going over uh, a certain generation's head, but I, I definitely think a lot of us would uh, would get the reference and appreciate it for sure. Absolutely, Josh. That's, Josh, that's, did you have any more? Special uh, special drop for you guys on the podcast. Appreciate that. Yeah, uh, man, Josh, that was... you have any more questions? Uh, there was one. Uh, so I noticed Vanessa Williams was in the movie. Um. She was in Candyman and uh, Ice Spiders, which is two of my favorite, and I have loved her forever. What was she like to work with? Oh, man, she was super sweet, man. And the, the shame part of it is I, I've thought she's she's been hot forever myself and, and just, like, kind of iconic in her own way, you know, because you go. Yeah, definitely. You go Vanessa Williams. You go, which one? The one from New Jack City. Oh, that, oh, that Vanessa Williams. Because she yep. She was the one in New Jack City that was, uh, you know, she she got wet up trying to uh, protect Ice T at the wedding, mm-hmm. um, um, and she had a couple iconic lines in New Jack City. But anyway, the, the the tragic thing was we only had her for two days because the the, the part of, of the mom wasn't very big, and she was like, "You gotta, you know, give me some more stuff to do in this movie." And I'm like, "I know, I really, I really wish, you know, I could just expand her part." But she was super sweet, man. And, you know, we did talk about, like, some of the other horror movies she had been in and just some of the stuff she did. Like, you know, her whole thing in New Jack City was rock-a-bye, baby. And then she would yep. bust a cap you know? <laughs> uh, So, yeah, man, she was, uh, she was fantastic. And, you know, some people would read that and go, Vanessa Williams, and they would think the other Vanessa Williams. But it's so it's super cool that you already knew I mean, obviously you've seen it, but you were a fan of that Vanessa Williams. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because Candyman is, you know, it's Candyman. It's iconic. And right? you go back and you look at that. Here's another Easter egg for you, just since you brought that up. So 
Riza plays the principal in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, Riza was going to play the detective, and I had met with Tony Todd to play the principal. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And he and I sat down and I didn't want to make him audition or anything. Like I was ready to give it to him. Mm-hmm. And then Michael T. Williamson, who's a really good friend, was like, hey, man, you're doing this movie with Blumhouse. You know, I just did the purge with them. And Michael T. was in my uh, show Rebel. He's like, why didn't you offer me anything in it? And I was yeah. like, oh, well, I got this principal role. <laughs> uh, but the principal role and the detective role didn't shoot the shot at different times. So I switched Rizzo over the detective. I mean, Rizzo over to the principal. Yeah. Michael T. Williamson, uh, Bubba Gump, ended up being the detective. And I, 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 told, I had to tell Tony Todd, I will promise I will find something with you. Dude. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. awesome, man. Yeah. You you went out for your friend and gave your friend the, the part and told Tony Todd, like, nah, man, I gave it to my friend. Peace out. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. That's, yeah, that's... it felt bad, though, because I had spent, like, it was like the Fat Joe story, right? Like, yeah, I spent yeah. 30 minutes with, with Tony Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in my mind. I'm like, dude, Candyman as the principal will be crazy. Yeah. And, you know, it came down to like, how do I make this work? One legend with another legend. Uh, and it just so happened. Blumhouse was just like, look, you got to put Michael T in it. I was like, you're right. I got to put Michael T in it. Because uh, uh, yeah, at that time, he, he had just done the, pur- the, the last purge with them. And he was yep. getting ready to do another movie with them. And they wanted to keep him in the family. And he was already in my family. So mm-hmm. and it worked out for the best. I'm going to find something with Tony Todd. Well, we look, we look forward to that because we're all Tony Todd fans. So that's, that's awesome. Like uh, I said, man, Dallas, you've been killing it yeah. with everything, with your directing, your writing. You know, and now, you know, you, you get that whole project coming up with 50 Cent and T.I. doing that, man. You know, you're doing big things. And so, you, um, you know. I know we were talking about the whole T.I. and the 50 Cent's versus, you know, and I know you're working with those guys. Who, who, who are you going to take for the versus battle if those two ever collided? I can't choose, man. I don't want the goons. <laughs> Somebody's goons going to show up. I mean, look, it will be a, it will be a great versus. Uh, you know, both of them, which people don't really might not know, they're both super smart guys. Obviously, yeah. you have to, at this point in the game where mm-hmm. you kind of transcend music and you're like both iconic in your own way. You have to be super smart because you've gotten yourself there. They're both super smart mm-hmm. uh, and and different behind what you would think that they are, particularly mm-hmm. 50. 50 is not like a big bully like he is on IG or just like this kind of reckless yeah. Uh, guy, he's super smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so musically, they've both made some really great choices. I mean, look, 50, 50's whole first album is Dre. Mm-hmm. You know, damn near. So that's like, but I'm yeah, not going to say okay. nothing, man. I'm not going to say <laughs> nothing, man. I don't want to get yeah. caught up in that. But yeah. I'm pretty much uh, convinced that that versus might not happen. So yeah. 
because there's just so much ego there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if I had to put my money on on a winner, it might have to be Tip just because he has a little bit of a bigger catalog. Yeah. And I think, like, if I had to choose a winner, I think everyone's a winner, you know what I mean? Because just having those two collide, you know, and then just bringing everything that they have, you know, like with 50, like venturing out, they both venture out. And then now them doing this, this show with you, you know, I think it's awesome and it's good for the community and it's good for like kids to look up to and then see that they can become something else and then do something, especially with you, you know, like you're opening doors for African-American kids to come up and know that they can become directors and writers and everything like that. So, man, I appreciate that. Oh, man, that's awesome for you to say that. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Yeah, we, the, the great thing about the 50 TI project is it's basically about um, this guy, Derek Parker. It's based on his life, but it's not based on – it's not a biography or anything. But Derek became uh, NYPD detective when he was 26. So he, mm-hmm. he, was, he, was the, he was one of the youngest detectives to ever be promoted to detective at that age, and he was a brother. So – what started happening was he started getting cases dealing with the hip hop culture because he was part of the culture. Like when he wasn't at work, he was at the club, you know, he had on a chain, he would hang out with Busta Rhymes or whatever. And people didn't know he was a cop until something went down and he'd have to take out his gun and badge. And so it's really a show about this guy who's a really good detective because his father was a detective. Um, and he and he's been able. He grew up just watching his father work, and he's absorbed all that. But he's also aligned with the culture, and he and he wants to be a hero to the community, not and, and even to the point where he'll step out of line with what the cops will do and do what's right for his mm-hmm. own community. So that's yeah. what we're doing with that, and it's 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 great to have those two involved because you know they're both superstars. They're both I think, in their own way, positive role models. Mm-hmm. 50s doing so much stuff on TV that you got to admire it. Tip is mm-hmm. starting to be like kind of the civil rights uh, activist in, in, in his own way on top of mm-hmm. all the stuff he's doing. So, yeah, it, it'll be a super cool show, man. And we, we want to do something kind of dark and edgy um, and really music-based in terms of not the music industry, but like in, injecting super cool stuff into it musically. Uh, so yeah, man, I'm excited for that. That's, uh, you know, COVID willing, we'll be shooting that, you know, early next year. Okay, cool. Can't wait to check that out. Yeah. Um, so Dallas, I know uh, we got to wrap up, but um, I just wanted to see, was there anything else that you kind of have coming down the road for us or, you know, what do you want us to look out for? Uh, well, we obviously got Welcome to Sudden Death out right now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Thriller out right now on Netflix. Uh, I'm working on, uh, I don't want to say too much about it without jinxing it, doing this prison action movie I wrote. Um, that's kind of my uh, homage to the prison action genre, much like some of these other things have been my homage to certain yeah. things uh, with a big twist to it. So, um I'm hoping that I'll be shooting that uh, towards the end of the year. They're they're working out everything now, uh, and uh, there's a few other things. I'm writing a comic book right now um, with Joe Casey, who created Ben Ten. Um, okay. So we're working on 
something right now that's really uh, kind of in the sci-fi realm and dealing with uh, orphans of uh, black and brown um, coming from urban communities and, and, and kind of being experimented on. So that's something cool that we're working on. Um, and I, I just closed a deal to do uh, my own podcast with Blumhouse called Shady Tales. Nice. And, oh, cool, uh, man. That will be part scripted uh, original stories and part interview guests. So I might have to have you guys come on because oh, you guys man. are all horror it's genre uh, experts. <laughs> uh, and that'll be one part interview and then one part we'll do an original uh, story. Uh, that's, awesome. Nice. That really, awesome. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So Dallas, that all sounds like amazing things, man. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. You are, you know, you're doing big things, but you are clearly much more than just what you're doing. You're very much an intellectual individual. And this has been such a eye-opening conversation. So thank you for taking this time to talk with us. Appreciate that. Thank you for having me guys. It was fun. Take care. Stay safe. Hey man, and, I have one uh, more question. One more question. No, no more questions. Yo, man. No, no, ahead, sorry. I know you're from LA, so are you a Lakers fan? Uh yeah, I, I am a Lakers fan because when uh, I moved to L- when I moved to LA, uh I, I was 20 years old, yeah, fresh out of college, and Kobe just got here. Yeah. He had just got here, and uh and a year later they brought Shaq. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I grew up like my twenties is they oh bro yeah get it's, him out of here man <laughs> hey man I'm not I'm not mad at you it's Kobe and Shaq <laughs> now I will say this too I'm originally from Denver Colorado yeah I le- I left Denver uh, when I was 17 to go to Howard uh, but I grew up a Nuggets fan so I, I it was I was really rooting. In my yeah. heart for the Nuggets. That was a tough, yeah. uh, tough matchup. It was nice to see them put the smackdown on the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a little hurt what happened with the Lakers, but like, I mean, I kind of expected it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to say Lakers, Lakers take this uh, finals all the way. Yeah. yeah tonight. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm a big Lakers fan. So, what do you think it's going to be? Uh, Lakers and what? Uh, I'm gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say it goes game seven, man. I'm gonna say, so. I'm gonna say it goes all the way because you know, the Heat ain't no joke either. They're gonna be playing with a purpose because they're looking at LeBron on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we can't, we can't let the dude who you who came here and got rings leave us without getting a ring. But I think the Lakers did. For sure. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, yeah, for your, I'm sorry for your Celtics, homie. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't mind if the Lakers beat them after that series. That was a tough one. They're, they're doing good this season. Yeah, they yeah, got to do this for Kobe. Yeah. They got to do this yeah. for Kobe. Yep, and Kobe. by the way, you know, just like my Nuggets, your Celtics, you know, they they went, they went as far as they could go. And, oh, yeah. and, the, and the next thing is the next thing. So – you can't be mad at that season. No, for sure. No. Well, we next season. But Dallas, man, again, appreciate this. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, like you said, everybody, check out Thriller. Check out Welcome to Sudden Death on Netflix currently and just look out for his upcoming projects. And uh, have a good night, everyone. Peace.
Thank you guys. I'll come back for the next one. Thank you.